So the, uh, the confrontation goes on in 1 Samuel. I think we're used to that. Um, we're used to political confrontation. We've got Rishi against Liz. We've got Donald versus Joe. Um, Volodymyr versus Vladimir. Um, we know about those kind of confrontations and their unpredictability and their changes. Um, yesterday on the radio, they interviewed the man who agreed to rush out a biography of Liz Truss in time for Christmas. He, um, he said, I am never again writing a book about someone who is still alive. Um, too much changes. But here in 1 Samuel, we've got David versus Saul. Uh, one of them should be king. And one of them is king. One of them has all of the power. One of them has all of the promises from God. See, God rejected Saul back in chapter 15. Then God anointed David king in chapter 16. So now we are 10 chapters later and David is still waiting. And it looked like things were going well. He was promoted, shepherd boy, to companion of the king, to super soldier, to five-star general, to son of the king. And then he was demoted, least favorite courtier, condemned man, hunted fugitive, and now refugee. See, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, David spends 20 chapters not being king, and actually only 18 chapters being king. And that is not an accident, that is for us. Um, Today we've heard Andrew commit his life to following Jesus as king. So nothing, um, nothing matters more to Andrew, does it, than what kind of king Jesus is. Um, what What has Andrew done? And one big Bible answer is that Jesus is a king like David. Um, he is the, the Jewish Messiah. He's the king in David's line. So the, the 20 chapters where David is not king, um, they're not just detail. Um, in fact, I want us to listen to Jesus himself. This is Jesus after he rose from the dead talking to his disciples. Jesus said, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So when it comes to understanding the Messiah... Um, 1 and 2 Samuel, they're part of the prophets. Uh, David's life story, David's humiliations, they show us the Messiah that Jesus is. They show us, or they should have shown the disciples, that Jesus would have to suffer. And the author really doesn't want us to miss that point. So if you wanted to make this book shorter, I think you would just leave out chapter 26. Because it is the same, really, as chapter 24. Um, David, he is still in hiding. Uh, Saul, he is still hunting him. And again, David gets a chance to kill him. And again, David doesn't kill him. And again, David and Saul have a bit of a chat. And again, nothing changes or nothing yet. And that repetition means that this is important. I guess the question is whether we've got this in our heads yet. Jesus' disciples, they hadn't. Um, To them, suffering and king, they were opposites. And Jesus dying on the cross was a problem for them. 
Jesus says, how foolish. So what I want to do, we're going to take this story fairly quickly and draw out um, 10 words, 10 words about David, and then we'll, we'll look at some applications. So um, the first words up there is the word opposed. So last time, chapter 24, there was a cave. Um, it was all pretty secret and quiet. It was Saul on his own. This time, the entire army is there. Saul is in the middle of the army camp. His guards are all around him. And in verse 6, David says, who is with me? Who will go down to Saul with me? And he gets a volunteer and they, they creep in at night. I guess there's a bit of tension, a bit of snoring in the camp. Maybe a bit of, oh, are they going to wake up? Um, and they get right into Saul's tent. What are they going to do? Well, Abishai knows what they should do. Um, and he says, I won't need to strike twice. Um, this is a proper soldier speaking. And through the the loyalty of that soldier and friend, Abishai, we get a picture of who Saul really is. So David is opposed by his enemy, Saul. Look at verse 8. God today has given your enemy into your hands. And when Abishai says he wants to pin him to the ground, he's he's right, really. Um, The spear that's just there is the same one that Saul used to use to try and pin David to the wall. I don't know if you remember that story. David would be playing his music, but like Michal here behind us, and there's a spear. That's a bit of fun, isn't it? Here we are listening to the music. Wham! And David's got a dodge so as not to be killed. Um, David has an enemy, and his name is Saul. But, uh, verse 9, David is entirely innocent. Uh, he won't attack Saul because if he did that, you can't attack the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. David is um, innocent. He has never done anything wrong to Saul. And again, he refuses to hear. In fact, he is so kind to Saul again and again and again. Here, um, Saul is seconds away from death. Saul is hunting Abishai just as much as he's hunting David. And David saves his life. And they walk out with the spear and the water jug. And we learn in verse 12, it's not just that they are very good, skillful members of the SAS. It is actually as well as that, that the Lord is protecting them. Uh, There is a a deep sleep from the Lord uh, on all these soldiers. David is being protected by God through all of these terrible years. And then I've had to choose one word out of many for the, the next verses for what David says. I've gone with the word servant. So uh, David calls out across the valley and um, Saul recognizes David's voice and said, is that your voice, David, my son? And you think, how would you reply? Um, Saul hasn't been a great father or father-in-law, let's just say that. Hunting to kill is not a great... He could just say, no, you're no uh, father to me. He says, yes, it is, my Lord the King. And through the the speeches from David, uh, he talks about himself as a servant. He talks about Saul as the king. And in fact, the other word you might choose here is, is David is Saul's guard. 
And there's a, a bit of um, sort of military banter, I think, in verse 15, verse 16, where David is chatting to the man who took his job across the valley. So Abner is now the commander of the army. That used to be David's job. Um, and roughly speaking, David's saying, I am better at your job and I'm a hunted fugitive. Um, you're meant to be guarding the king. And someone was there tonight to kill him and I saved his life. So all of... Um, All of the way David treats Saul speaks to how good David's character is. In fact, again, this is another offer from David. It's another chance, maybe the last chance, for Saul to come to his senses and change. So the positive is all about David's character, but actually the situation David is in Um, is entirely negative. So the next word, humiliated. Verse um, 19, verse 20, he describes himself as a flea. Um, He's in a terrible situation. Um, Abner has his job. In fact, Saul has his job as well of being king. And um, he has been driven out so much so, verse 19, that he is not an Israelite anymore. No longer part of the people of God, no longer in the promised land. Uh, He no longer has access to the tabernacle, no longer has access to God. Uh, Driven away and have said, go serve other gods. And in all of that, um, it is not David's fault. He is wronged. Uh, So verse um, 21, Saul speaks. And Saul describes himself as a terribly wrong fool. Um, He says, I have sinned. And he makes this promise, I will not try to harm you again. Uh, David is the wronged party. And that idea becomes hugely important in um, the Psalms, which pick up on this period in David's life, we'll see in a second, and then through into the New Testament. David was hated without a cause, for no reason. David has only ever been good to Saul. No one would have blamed him, David, if he had killed Saul, and yet he doesn't. So verse 21 is fascinating because Saul is both telling the truth and utterly unreliable. So Saul is right. He has done terrible wrong. And I think... um, Saul is expressing a genuine emotion here. When he says how wrong he's been, he feels glad his life's been saved. I will not try to harm you again. Um, He probably believes it as he says it. Um, But uh, there is no way in which uh, David is willing to take Saul's word for it. Um, The the next time a a verse 1 opportunity comes along, uh, chances are Saul will grab it. Uh, He said something very like this in chapter 24. And actually, um, Saul is speaking from inside his army um, and inviting David, please come and put yourself at my mercy. Um, There's nothing stopping Saul doing that the other way around and walking over to speak to David. Because David is uh, the righteous and faithful one. So verse 23, um, David is talking about who the Lord rewards, and the contrast with Saul is very clear, isn't it? Uh, The Lord rewards the one who is righteous and faithful, and that is David. Righteous just means doing the right thing, doing the good thing, the moral thing. Um, And unlike every other normal politician uh, or normal powerful person, 
Saul is normal and David is weird, is righteous. Faithful, though, I think means two different things here. Um, It's partly about David's faithful character, as in you can really trust David. You can trust him with your life, even if you are his enemy. Saul could trust him. I don't know whether there is a a modern equivalent in London anyway. um, This maybe just tells you the kind of things that I I worry about in the middle of the night. But imagine you were going in for surgery. Okay, You're going in for general anaesthetic surgery and they've put the injection in you. They're counting you down from 10. And just as you do it, the the surgeon kind of pulls the mask down and gives you a little wave. um, And you see it's your worst enemy. You know, someone you spent 10 years at school bullying. or And there they are. Um, here's the knife. Um, could you really trust them? Um, well, if it's David, no problem. Um, Saul should be able to trust David. Um, also, though, faithful is about the way David trusts God. Um, in all of this, in David's world... What really matters is what God thinks is going to happen and what God thinks of you. He is living his life along the the 1 Samuel 2 line. If you were here right when we began the the series, it starts with a prayer from Samuel's mother. And she says, the Lord is someone who pushes down the proud and lifts up the humble. And David believes that. And he believes that as long as he is on God's side, as long as he lands himself with God, actually all the politics will just sort itself out. Um, Verse 10 is what he's expecting. He's expecting either something a bit like happened with Nabal last week, um, that Saul will just die, or he's expecting there will be a battle. So actually when David leaves the tent with um, his soldier Abishai thinking he's a lunatic as he carries away a water jug and a spear. You think you know, that is not a decisive military advantage you're taking away from this situation. One more spear for you, one fewer for Saul. Um, but actually, from David's point of view, it is. Because David is demonstrating he is righteous and faithful. He's demonstrating he trusts that God will decide who wins. And actually, he expresses his trust, verse 24, uh, it says 25 on the screen, I meant 24, where um, David is sure that God will value David, uh, will in fact value David the way that David has just demonstrated he values Saul and look after him, be his bodyguard in the tent. And then verse 25 Um, David is blessed. So again, here is a true blessing announced by a a terrible man. Uh, In verse 25, Saul says, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. And David will. He'll triumph over Saul. He'll triumph over the Philistines. And he will save his people, uh, which is what Saul has failed to do. Okay, so that is the the story. Um, That is the character and the situation of David laid out there on the screen. And I just want to look at a bit at Saul and then a bit at David as we look at what this means for us. So for Saul, let's start with him. What should Saul do? Um, He is a terribly wrong fool. 
Um, he's a very complex character, isn't he? He's conflicted, he's untrustworthy, he's pathetic in, in both senses of that word, in that he keeps failing to do the thing he wants to do, but also you sort of feel sorry for him. But also he is doomed, and he is vicious in his envy and his hatred and his rage. Um, he can't control himself, he can't stick to a decision. Um, and what should he do? Um, what he should do is abdicate. I think that's what we're shouting at the TV as we watch all of this. Abdicate. It's the only possible safe future for Saul. Saul knows the future. There's no point here that he's, you know, he's not confused about what's happening. He knows that at some point he is going to come crashing down and David will be king. And um, it's normal for political leaders, even when they know they're doomed, to sort of cling on to power desperately. Um, we see that even in this country, prizing the, the prime minister out of number 10. But dictators particularly do this. I read um, something about Putin recently. Um, and the reason dictators have to cling on to power is because you know you can't trust your successor. There's no retirement, is there, for an absolute dictator? But Saul... Saul is not in that situation now. What does Saul know for certain? He knows he can trust David. Uh, David can't trust him, but Saul can trust David. Twice now this has happened. Twice now it's been demonstrated. He can trust David. Even when David is desperate and on the run, you can trust him. Certainly once David is king, you can trust him. They're fascinating, I think, these two men, Saul and David, and um, one of them, he knows that he can't trust the other one, but he keeps behaving as if he could, keeps offering him uh, chances and grace. The other one, he knows that he can trust him, and yet he keeps acting as if he couldn't, fearful and hunting him and chasing him. Um, what Saul should do, Saul should cross the valley, should leave his army behind, tell his soldiers to stay where they are, cross the valley and take his crown off and kneel in front of David and ask for his protection. That's what Saul should do. But um, you can see why that is a hard thing to do, can't you? Um, all of Saul's power, his independence, his anger, his rage and his hatred, it's a lot to let go of. And um, it's, I mean, baptism's a good week to be talking about this. Because every baptism is essentially an ab abdication. Um, the question was, do you turn to Christ? And will you follow Christ? It's essentially an, an abdication. Um, human beings, we, we pretend that we're in charge. Um, every one of us, we, we pretend that we control our own lives. And really, um, we want it to be that we'd run the script for everyone else around us as well. Uh, we want to be that we're in charge of them. We are doomed and pathetic and terribly wrong and foolish. And uh, 1 Samuel is encouraging us to abdicate. Um, Jesus, in the situation's a bit like David's. Jesus is waiting to be king forever, uh, waiting to be revealed as the king of this uh, universe. And on the day when God shows us that Jesus was righteous and faithful, um, Andrew will stand beside him. 
having chosen his side. Um, baptisms, I think, are a bit confronting. Um, they're saying to all of us, where will you be on that day? Um, it doesn't look like David is the king. Um, Saul has all the power. And David has all the promises. But the history of David and Saul says the promises are what counts if it is God making those promises. Choose. Abdicate. Okay, and then I want to look at David. And this will take just a little bit longer because we need to work through the Psalms and then to the New Testament and into Jesus. So um, David is here to teach us about Jesus. And it might be that it's just to teach us that Jesus is nice. Um, you know, kind, something like that. Um, but actually, I think there is much more going on here. Um, in every culture, the, the ideal shows you what the culture really values. So some cultures in their leaders, they want a strong man, uh, someone powerful and forceful, even violent. Some people want decisive. Um, the, uh, again, an article about Putin this week um, talks about the leader who never makes mistakes as being a kind of high-value thing. It's pretty tricky, isn't it, uh, to be that leader? Well, written into the history of Israel is a leader who has been humiliated, who has suffered, and only became king after a long period of trusting God when everything looked hopeless. Remember, they chose Saul because he looked big and strong, and now David, we're learning, humiliated, suffered, trusted God after a long period when everything looked hopeless. So it's a way of being sure that David is, in fact, always righteous. Again and again, opportunities to do the wrong thing for very understandable reasons. And he says no. And that he has always trusted God and God's promises. Again, Repeated chances to help God along a bit, just speed the promises up. And David says, no, God will keep his promise. And the rest of the Old Testament is fascinated about that, about David. Uh, or he is as well, kind of interested in what's going on with that. So David wrote a lot of Psalms. He's the sort of Graham Kendrick of his generation. And I wonder if really you and I would keep in the songs about the good dates and the happy times. Well, um, just on the slide there at the top are a list of uh, a whole bunch of Psalms that are about these chapters that we're in now, the desperate times, the times when he was on the run, when Saul was hunting him. So what we've got in this chapter, we've got a narrative that is then discussed at length in the Psalms. We're told what it means and how it feels and what we should think about it. And then that is picked up in the New Testament. So these Psalms are quoted in the New Testament and the connection is made to Jesus. So we can be really confident with the application we're making from these chapters in 1 Samuel. And a big theme in these Psalms is that undeserved suffering, uh, wronged, hated without a cause, and uh, the trust of the king, uh, faithful, trusting God, uh, because God, and this is a, a line very like 1 Samuel, isn't it? Psalm 18, verse 27, he trusts the God who saves the humble, but brings low those whose eyes are haughty. 
And um, so when we get to Jesus and his experience of being betrayed and rejected and humiliated, um, these Psalms keep coming up in the New Testament. And my guess is that, that Jesus opened these Psalms with them in that Bible study on Easter Day as he's showing them the scriptures that reveal the Messiah must suffer, let's look at the Psalms about the suffering king. Um, And they're quoted to help us understand his death and to understand the time we live in now, after Jesus has risen, but when it doesn't look like he is the king. And knowing this about someone's character, so the Psalms, they're emotional poems, they're songs, they open up the character of the person we're being asked to to trust. Uh, If you want to know if you can trust someone, put them through suffering. Put them through unjust suffering and see what they're really made of. I think this is what Matt Hancock is hoping for uh, in I'm a Celebrity. And to be honest, it seems to be working, doesn't it? Um, Twitter is very angry about the fact that um, everyone seems to like him now. Um, I'm not sure that three weeks on a TV show is quite the, the same. But with Jesus, this is his entire life, isn't it? Um, He leaves the throne room in heaven and becomes a human being, fragile and weak, and uh, he suffers, and he is rejected and mocked and betrayed, and then he is beaten and flogged, and then he is crucified. So I think we get the, um, the Abishai effect, if I can call it that. So Abishai was in the tent at the moment when he said, shall we kill him? And David said, we are never doing anything wrong. Um, The rest of his life, Abishai knows he can trust David, doesn't he? Because at that moment, uh, David said that. Um, We have that in the life of Jesus, as illustrated and explained in those Psalms. Um, Psalm 34 is um, about a time when David was about as desperate as he ever was. Uh, He is fleeing for his life. He has to pretend to be mad to escape from being killed. And the psalm says this. Psalm uh, basically says David was uh, went through a lot, but the Lord protected him, protected all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. In other words, David had some very close shapes, but always God protected him and he was saved. But then that verse. Uh, the same as lots of Psalm 69, what I've put up there as well. That verse is quoted in John's Gospel. Um, do you know when? It's quoted at the moment when Jesus is on the cross and they break the legs of the two men on either side of him, but don't break Jesus' legs. They say, just like it said in the Psalm, not one of your bones will be broken. Which obviously in the Psalm, uh, David would not have accepted that trait. Uh, don't break my legs, but kill me. That's not what David means in the psalm. So from David to Jesus, there is an escalation of this. Um, There's a a movement in David's life down before up, um, and there is an escalation in both ways in the life of the Lord Jesus. He is down, not just to a few close shaves, but into death and crucifixion. But then he is raised far higher than David's. Uh, resurrection to an indestructible life, and then seated on a throne uh, next to his father. 
And um, we're not going to turn to Psalm 69. I'll just briefly give you the highlights. It's quoted a lot in the New Testament. Um, it tells us about the bad times Jesus went through. He was hated without a cause. It tells us why he was hated, because of zeal for the Lord's house, for the temple. That's actually where Jesus begins to get in trouble. It's quoted as they offer vinegar to Jesus on the cross, just like in the psalm. And it's quoted as the king who is suffering appeals to God for justice. So when David decides not to strike Saul, that is actually in some ways, if you believe in God, an act of war. It's an appeal to God for justice. Uh, What David does, it is at one level so kind, a final last chance for Saul, hope and life for the old king, but it's also an act of war if he won't change. Saul, if you, you settle here, God will bring justice on you. And that's where the the New Testament takes the death of Jesus for us. Um, uh, Baptism, again, is a choice. It's an abdication. It's a being signed with the cross. The death of Jesus now for Andrew, uh, as for any of us who trust him. Because it's, it's an abdication, and it's a yes to the offer of life, to the last chance. So um, here is uh, Peter's letter, and it picks up uh, ideas of the suffering king uh, from the Psalms and also from Isaiah. So Jesus, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And that's how Jesus behaved on the cross. And Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus, he is righteous, he's faithful, you can really trust him. In fact, Jesus, he has faced innocent suffering. Um, When we were talking earlier about carol service invitations, um, we were talking about the fact actually the way the world um, feels in trouble now um, can turn people off God. Why should I turn to God when there's so much wrong with this world? Well, Jesus says that God is not watching from a distance while this world suffers. Jesus, uh, in Jesus, God came in person to suffer and to die. And like David... His suffering offers his enemies a chance at life. Um, David just kind of does it verbally, offers Saul a chance. But um, more than that with Jesus, his death is where he purchases the right to give you life. Uh, All of our hatreds, all of our opposition to God, the verse says, Jesus bore them, picked them up and carried them, said they're mine now so that we could cross the valley. We could humble ourselves, we could lay down our pretend crown, and we could be accepted by Jesus. Uh, We could be in total safety with the one who is genuinely reliable. And everything that, that Saul pretended to offer David could be offered to us, family and servants and followers of the king. And that offer... um. Extended, I guess, by Jane to Matthew, um, extended by Matthew to his father, and extended to everyone here who would turn and trust in Jesus. And then if we have done that, 
um, well, the wonder at the person who we are following, uh, the life he lives, that would be um, what should fill our hearts as we go from here. That should be what to talk about as we go to the, the shared lunch and talk together about the Lord Jesus.